So you were telling me about uh, An encounter. Getting, getting shouted down when you drove home. Yeah. So last week, I... This was after the show, right? Right after we recorded, I was on my way home, and I've decided, or at that night, I decided to try and figure out kind of my summer playlist, you know, what kind of music I'm going to start breaking out as the weather gets warmer. Mm-hmm. And the second album from a band called Vacationer was kind of on my iPod, but I hadn't really listened to it much. I wasn't a huge fan of their first album, but then I watched a live performance with the singer. He looks like Spicoli from Fast Times mm-hmm. at Ridgemont High. And I think that's what initially won me over. And I thought he was great. I thought it was great live. I started listening to the second album, and I really, really liked it. And I was playing it pretty loud, mm-hmm. and I have no air conditioning in my car, so my windows are always down. What do they sound like? They sound like your worst summer nightmare. Why is that? Um, like, does he have a high singing voice? Yeah, I mean, he can. He kind of likes in the choruses to go to a falsetto. Uh-huh. It's not like he's always singing in falsetto. But by the time he gets there, there's kind of like layered vocals. They're all kind of going to falsetto. And he'll just layer his music. So there's kind of... Um, like these layers of percussion and it's got just kind of like this summer poppy vibe, you know? And I just, I just like it. It's like, Mm. it's something that is right on that fence of being, you could almost be embarrassed listening to it, but it's actually done well, like done poorly. It comes off as like, and this is a terrible comparison, but this is the first thing that I thought of. He does not sound like Jason Mraz, but the worst way that you know that sound could go would be like a Jason Mraz kind of. Well, I think Jason Mraz is the worst way it can go, right? No, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Jason Mraz is the worst. It's like Jason Mraz, but you know he he really focused in on like a summer beachy surfer vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it so. I think you'd hate it. Okay. Because it's not surfer. There's two types. There's surfer blood, which we talked about, and beach fossils, uh-huh. which is kind of lo-fi. Right. And then there's like well-produced, um, more poppy side of of the summer sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, very positive sounding with no, no hints of lo-fi right. anything. No hints of hatred. Anyway. My cup of tea, right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> You actually kind of love life listening to the album. And for you, I know that that's kind of like <laughs> antithetical to who you right, are. Yeah. So anyway, <clears throat> I'm listening to this. And there's one person who would agree with you that this is terrible music. Mm-hmm. And it's actually a guy who pulled up right next to me right. at a light. <laughs> Sitting at a light. It's late at night. Monday. Your windows are down. Windows are down. I'm blaring vacationer. And this guy pulls up and he's in this like kind of souped up Civic and his windows are down and I'm sitting there listening to the music. I'm not like outwardly into it at all. I'm not singing along. I'm not like dancing in my car. And I just get a sense that he's like looking at me. 
to like look over and he's like, it's him. He's got like a guy in the passenger seat, guy in the back seat. He's like, what are you listening to? And he looks like a dude bro, you know, mm-hmm. probably coming on like right by town center, which is where a lot of our restaurants are. So he was probably like out drinking with his buddies or whatever. And, um, I, I just, I know that's a setup. Right. <laughs> I'm not like, oh, hey, it's vacation. I think you'd right. really like him. He's not asking for a genuine recommendation here. Exactly. Right. But what can I do? I just go, vacationer, with the inevitability of what, what's going to happen next. I just don't know how bad it's going to be. Uh-huh. He goes, yeah, well, it sucks. <laughs> and then I expect him to blare his Jason Mraz right. or whatever he's listening to. And say he just starts revving his engine really loud. And so I'm sitting there. I can't, you know, say anything back. And he's just revving and his friends are like laughing. And he's kind of looking at me still and revving his engine or whatever. Yeah. Light turns green. I just let them go ahead of me. You know, I go behind them. And I'm still listening to Vacationer a week later. Yeah. It's one of those things where this is the feeling I get from that story. And this is something that happens to me occasionally where I feel like something like that will happen. And my first thought is like growing up, I like that's the type of stuff I would deal with because I got picked on a little bit growing up. Not a lot, but occasionally it would happen. And it's you're always just kind of like you just imagine that adults don't do that. You know what I mean? So, like, when that (laughs) stuff happens to me now, it's, like, my first thought is, like, I'm a 30-year-old father of two with a full-time salaried position. Like, this it should not be happening to me at this stage (laughs) in my life, right? I'm older than this. But sure enough, some dum-dum pulls up next to you and he hates your music. Or some kid on Xbox Live doesn't understand your gamer tag and is intent on making fun of you for it. And it just is like, well, it's very, I don't know if humbling is the right word, but just as it's kind of surreal, right? It's just kind of like, who are these people that are like, I guess, brazen enough to do this? Yeah. this weekend mm-hmm. and we recorded a podcast about it Saturday night after we saw it and that's been released so if you haven't listened to that go see the movie first and then listen to it it stuck with me in a way that Mad Max didn't which we'll talk about in a little bit um, but the the story and sort of the themes have stuck with me a little bit. But that's that's pretty much it. I don't have too much follow-up for it. Yeah, I think... I mean, I would actually probably like to revisit it when it comes out on DVD and then talk about it again. Because I feel like it's a well-constructed film. 
with great characters that you could debate. We could debate more about yeah. Nathan. And Nathan is honestly the character that I've been thinking about since. And I think there's some there's some issues that we didn't really dig into too much of Ava and even Kyoko um, at the end of the film, what their emotional state truly is. And I don't think those things are knowable, but I think it's an interesting conversation that you can have about how aware and in control of their emotions they are or Mm -hmm. how much they are operating still within parameters of Mm -hmm. their programming. So, um, yeah, I don't have anything to add right now other than like you, I have been thinking about it. And in the reaction I've encountered, I'm kind of shocked at how not negative, but a lot of people I think weren't picking up or weren't, didn't care about the themes of the film. Yeah. And so people were kind of saying like, it's well-made, it has moments, I was bored hmm. or whatever. And I, I'm just like, it's not an action film. Yeah, see, for me, the mystery, that does. I feel like the pacing does a good job of keeping you interested in like what the mystery behind it all is or like what's going, what is it all leading up to without ever feeling boring. But the one thing that I did, I don't know if I read this in comments somewhere or if I heard it somewhere, but I've seen... A, a kind of a I've seen a, 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 a maybe a small group of people who are really hated the ending of the movie and the ending to be honest had didn't really strike me in any way at all and I it wasn't something that I had been thinking about at all until I saw or heard the those comments about people really hating the ending um, did it, I'd like to. Where would you see those? On like, I don't know. It? I can't remember. I yeah. I don't know if it was Reddit or if I was listening to something. But they were just talking about how they thought the ending was was mean. Maybe I can't remember. But and then Elise's prediction for me was that you'd hate was the that ending. I would hate the ending. But I I just didn't have any feelings on the ending really at all. Um which I think maybe speaks to how well it fits into the movie. It didn't just didn't stick out to me as like, it wasn't mind blowing, like but like it wasn't one possible natural. Yeah, it didn't seem unbelievable in any way. It just kind of felt like a natural progression. Did it stick out to you in any way? No, okay. no. All right. Well, before we talk about Mad Max, why don't you talk about what you've been watching? So you, um, Mad Men just aired their series finale, right? I didn't realize it was that it was so soon. I guess I still thought they had a couple episodes left. No, yeah, that is that's it. Mad Men's done. Okay, so before we get into it, just a quick spoiler warning for a series that is now for the the series finale that's over. But I'm just saying, like. I'm going to ask you how it ends because I want to know how it ends because even though I've never watched Mad Men, I've watched one or two episodes, I've still followed it enough through the popular culture that I have a very broad understanding of the arc of the characters. And so I just want my curiosity satisfied. Okay. So we will be talking very specifically about what happens at the end of the series. Mm -hmm. but. So your uh, thoughts on the finale and the series as a whole? Well, Don Draper goes on a shooting spree in 
the Does he really? Mows everyone down. No, he doesn't. Well, okay. That's my ending. (laughs) Is that like something you thought it could be leading up to? No. Okay. No, I I didn't think Don would. I I thought Don could die. And I thought I saw that most of the predictions were just like that he would just kind of disappear. Well, my as the finale was coming up, um, my prediction was he was going to change his identity again. So the whole show. Oh, right. Because Don Draper isn't his real. Right. Right. He's Dick Whitman. He takes the identity. Dick Whitman. Right. His real. (laughs) No wonder he changed his identity. Where can he go in life with the name Dick Whitman? (laughs) And so he changes his identity, takes on um, another, and, and becomes this, you know, huge ad right. guy. Um, and so anyway, I thought it would end in a nice kind of uru uros boros, you know, the snake that eats its tail, tail mm-hmm. whatever circle. Right. So I'd just come back around and. Don Draper has become somebody new. And it kind of seemed to be hinting at that. He walks out of a meeting like two episodes from the finale and just gets in his car and drives away, which is pretty great. And so I was like, oh, here it is. He's going to he's going on the road. He's going to just shed this skin. But instead, it kind of. It kind of ends on an ambiguous note, and I've I haven't because it just happened last night. So I haven't been able to read or listen to a lot. But there's a lot of debate about what the ending truly means. So, broad strokes, Don Draper hits a very low point with like five minutes left in the whole series. And you're like, this is it. He's going to commit suicide. And this lady invites him to like a... This kind of hippie commune group. He's already in their kind of um, compound, and she invites him to this group. And this kind of nondescript, average Joe kind of opens up about how he just feels like nobody in his life sees him or recognizes him. His wife and children don't really see him. He he says they don't look up when I sit down. So and he's like, I just don't feel loved. But he's like, I also don't know that they don't love me. You know, they could be trying their hardest to love me. I just, I don't know what it is. So I don't even know what to look for. Mm-hmm. He's like, I just feel just, you know, ignored, passed over, innocuous. And it just resonates with Don and he has this cathartic moment of release with this random guy. And that's kind of the turning point in Don's quote unquote redemption. And it ends with him at this kind of hippie commune participating in a meditation, you know, kind of alming, clearing his mind. And he looks happy. He looks kind of relieved. And then it cuts straight from that into the famous Coca-Cola ad. Let me, you know, let, let the world buy you Coke or was it? Let me buy you Coke. No idea. 
You don't know that it's from the seventies. It's one of the most famous ads, which mm. obviously hasn't registered for you and <laughs> hasn't registered enough for me because I can't fully remember the right. jingle. It's one of those things that when you see, like, okay, yeah, I know yeah. that. And it just cuts to that, and then and then it's over. And the first one of the first women in that commercial is looks like one of the ladies from that compound. So the question is, did Don go from shedding his skin as this soulless ad executive to then just come right back and do one of the most iconic ads of all time? In that case, that could be a really like horrible ending for Don, you know? Because instead of going out on his own and getting away from it, he becomes like the golden idol of the ad agency like mm-hmm. world by creating the most iconic ad for Coke, you know, instead of doing something substantial or real, they've kind of been hinting at the whole time. Or it could be that he's harnessed his reality and his truth and has turned it into this great ad. Or it could be a misdirection and Don didn't create the ad. And Matthew Weiner's just kind of putting in there, showing the culmination of, you know, that whole time period and that kind of capturing the zeitgeist at the moment in this Coca-Cola ad. So I took it as being more hopeful than what some other people took it as. I thought by the end, Don Draper experienced some sort of redemption even though he didn't really deserve it. You know, he, Betty gets cancer um, at the second to last episode. She's dying and his kids are going to go live with Betty's family and she doesn't want him to have his kids and he doesn't really want them. He's like out of their lives. So it's like, you know, he's kind of abandoned his kids and, you know, I don't know how to feel about that. Does he deserve redemption more than Walter White does? Well, see, and and I guess that's the thing is I read a piece and basically it was saying your view of the ending speaks a lot to kind of how you view the world and and even kind of theologically, right? Like who who deserves it? Who deserves redemption? You know? Does somebody reder- you know deserve redemption more than somebody else? Well, did he earn it more than Walter White then? Well, and see, and that's the thing. I mean, uh, earning is such a slippery scale of, I mean, did he go through enough emotional torment? I mean, he was kind of ready to commit suicide. And then he kind of came back from that, potentially. Um, so, I mean, I think both characters deserve, I think every character deserves redemption. And the fact that Don Draper seemingly found some at the end, could be hopeful, but I also, if, if he did go back and create the Coke ad, I, th- I think then I slip into the fact that he was not redeemed, that that's just a horrible, depressing ending for this man to go through all these different journeys, iterations of himself, and just return to the thing that he despises, that so, okay. sucked his soul. So he can't, he can't make ads and also be happy. Not in the context of the show. Mm-hmm. And and again, 
this is an ending that's like, I wouldn't mind seeing another season showing, yeah, what is Don's life after this moment? You know, is this a lasting change that he's had? Or is this a fleeting moment of self-realization where he he realizes, you know what? As bad as I feel that I am, I'm not that bad. Mm -hmm. And I can move forward with my life. I can take some control of it and not feel so kind of at sea, whether it's in a domestic situation or in a corporate situation, you know? I can just, I can manage my life in those kind of settings, which for seven seasons, he hasn't been able to manage, right? Mm -hmm. He's had great domestic setups with wife, kids, whatever, and he he can't ever be happy in those. So now you get the sense that maybe he's he's self-actualized so he can take better control of that. But to see him back in the ad agency, I mean, there are specific lines throughout the series where he's like, somebody else referenced um, when he's talking to um, to somebody else at the agency, he's like, if I ever leave here, it's not to go to another ad agency. It's like, if I leave this agency, I'm leaving for something else. Yeah. So, you know I mean? The whole series is kind of building up to him going elsewhere and he ends up back. Yeah. Hearing you talk about it, it seems more to me like it's a... It's like an outlet for him to continue doing his job. You know what I mean? Like, I hate my job. I hate mm-hmm. going to my job every single day. I absolutely hate it. But I have to go to it because I have to make money to, you know, do all the things that adults have to do with money and support my family. So I have to find something outside of work that's going to be enough to keep me from going into work and hanging myself in my office. And having a breakdown. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so that's what it sounds like to me, like, which is a depressing ending is still a sad ending because it's, he's doing this work that he hates maybe because it's what he's good at and it provides for him, but he hates doing it. And so that meditation has just, it's just a different way for him to cope with that outside of work. Exactly. I think I honestly don't have a problem with coping mechanisms. I think life is a coping mechanism. You know, Mm. I don't have a problem. You know, a lot of times culture looks down on the nine to five, right? The joy and pleasure of my job is in the provision that I help, you know, provide for my family. Mm -hmm. Like that, gives and i also i don't hate my job but you know i'm not out curing cancer mm-hmm. and i would i have a desk job i'm at a desk all day and i just feel like my my pleasure is in my family and that makes my job manageable but do i have coping mechanisms to get me through my life sure you know i think we all do right why do i watch tv and movies so i enjoy it you know, but yeah, it's also to say like, well, if I'm not doing this, when we're going to answer some emails from work, there are some people at my work who answer emails on the weekend, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so I don't know. I, I feel like if Don has come to terms with his life 
and returned to make iconic ads outside of the story. That's fine. That's, that's a normal life story. That's my life story. That's your life story, you know, Mm -hmm. but in the context of the show, I think it's, I don't think it's the right ending for Don Draper. If we want Don to experience what's a a bit of more of the same, right? Right. That's what he's been doing the whole series. Right. With it, with a different face and different attitude, but we've seen Don Draper turn leaves over. Mm -hmm. I, you know, it's kind of like, I guess in summation, this is kind of how I kind of took it. It's like somebody who's battling an addiction. And then when they're, when they seem to have fully turned the corner and they're like, I'm free of this addiction. I'm great. They go, um, let's say it's alcohol. They go, uh, I'm going to go buy a pack of gum in that liquor store. It's like, mm-hmm. I think you should get your gum somewhere else. <laughs> like, oh, no, they, they have my favorite brand, so I'm just going to go back there. Right. Yeah, you, just, you just think that's a time bomb, right? You know, if, if Don Draper did that home and it didn't cut to Coca-Cola, it cut to him, literally doing, he could be just a mechanic. I'd be like, oh, there you go. There's redemption, you know? Is he happy? But I don't know if he could be happy back in the ad world, mm-hmm. like truly mm-hmm. transformatively happy. So, uh, yes or no on the series as a whole in the series finale. Did you like it? Did you think it was appropriate? Are you satisfied with it? I'm still processing it, honestly. As a show, I think it's great. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I would absolutely recommend if anybody, uh, <clears throat> even with this ending spoiled, go back. Like, I left so much out of the finale, you know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Mad Men, I think, is in terms of TV shows that I've watched from start to finish, it's definitely, you know, top 10. Okay. And I've seen a lot of shows. I haven't seen just 10 shows. <laughs> I want that on, on record so okay. nobody's confused. We'll make note of it. Right. Um, so you watched something else called Wild Tales. It was it's a like an anthology movie. Yeah, it's it was nominated for best. A foreign language film last year and it's from one director so that's not technically anthology right but it's a series of vignettes okay and so it has i think i saw five i think there's a sixth and i think i told you that one when i started looking at reviews mm-hmm. one was at the bottom of everybody's list and i just kind of watched off of uh, Voodoo, so I got whatever digital copies out now or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they, I didn't see one with a restaurant. So mm-hmm. I was like, I think maybe they cut one from the theatrical to like the digital release mm-hmm. where everyone kind of agreed like, that's a terrible short. That's, uh, <laughs> I'm not proud of that one. Right. Let's just cut it. So anyway, um, I think I told you the first, I'm going to spoil the first vignette. And the first vignette right. is basically... All these people on a plane who find out that they're connected through the knowledge of one person. They all know this one person. And they soon find out that they all, in some ways, screwed over that one person. Mm-hmm. Ex-girlfriend, classmate, um, former professor who mocked one of his assignments. And then they find out that uh, he is the pilot. And it kind of ends with his psychiatrist who didn't, I think charged him, raised his rates and then he stopped. 
his psychiatrist pounding on the door and blaming everything on his parents. He's like, it's not your fault. It's your parents. They're terrible. And he flies the plane straight into his parents. And the vignette kind of ends with his parents who are sitting outside. Okay. In their backyard. Okay. Like bracing for impact and the plane's coming and it freezes and Mm -hmm. wild tales comes up. And that kind of sets the tone for the rest. Now, it was filmed. So the tone is unfortunately <laughs> timed shorts about a pilot <laughs> killing everybody by purposely <laughs> crashing the plane. Right. It was filmed before the German airline. Right. Um, but it it's horrible. And it's just interesting that in a short vignette that's all about crazy coincidence, it is then released right. literally the same year that uh, that the German pilot did what he did. And so... I honestly didn't know how to take it. You know, like, how do you process that? And we kind of talked about how do you process an artist's real life when you're viewing their art or the people who are portrayed in that art when you look at their real life? Yeah. I'm like, okay, well, now here's another question. How do you process real life tragedy when you're watching a fictional film? And I don't think you saw the fourth Bourne film. Did you see it? I don't with Jason. I think I've, Jeremy Renner. Yeah, I, mean. I don't know which ones of those I've seen. Jeremy Renner took over for the Bourne series, and it has one of the the, the most realistic office shootings I've ever seen in mm. my life. And I remember watching that. I was in the theater, and really, I've never wanted to run from a theater as much as I did watching that. I mean, you watch a man systematically walk through his office and shoot people as they're huddled underneath their desks. Mm -hmm. And then it happens like, I think, you know, who cares if it happened a year earlier or a year after, right? It's like, ugh. I mean, how do I process that, that scene now? I wasn't involved in the office shooting, but it's just so realistically depicted in this fictional film. Mm -hmm. I'm like, am I supposed to just be like this horrified? And in wild tales, am I supposed to laugh? Like even if the German, airlines pilot didn't purposely crash it like other pilots have done that you know like how am i supposed to process this narrative and to me with it happening so close it kind of brought it into stark relief where you know clever idea i guess but then was it clever yeah it ends up i think it ends up making it sort of childish maybe not childish but just like it seems very uh on the nose when in reality it's not because this thing happened afterwards right like not everybody on the plane was connected so okay i can see your authorial stamp on that Mm -hmm. but is that enough right it's like i watched a house burn okay well what if i write a story where Everyone's in that house is connected and it's, a, you know what I mean? It's like taking a generic random happening and then putting a coincidence in the middle and being like, done, next yeah. story, rip that one out. And I feel like, I guess my issue with Wild Tales is if that wasn't the best one, which a lot of times when we look at the reviews on Letterboxd, two people will rank them. Mm-hmm. That one is either one or two. Like people widely regard that as one of the top ones. If that was the floor, 
maybe I'd feel different. Yeah. If every other vignette was great, then I, I'd probably have a different feeling. But the other ones, like any anthology or series of shorts put together, it's exhausting after a while. Mm-hmm. Or you're too kind of focused on the details saying, somebody had to say, this short is worth filming and putting all this time and effort into. Well, what about it is making it interesting? And if it all leads up to just one gag at the end, you end up feeling cheated a little bit. You're like, that, you know, I watched 12 minutes of a short yeah. just for one gag at the end. Like, give me something right. else, right? Well, it has to be a really good gag if that's going to be. It's like, got to be, yeah, like right. fall off the chair. I've never seen it, that before. Right. It's got to be like a Sharpling and, and Worcester sketch, right? Right. That's what it's got to be, basically. And and it and it wasn't. Uh, th- there's one with Road Rage, which I I think is the best one, mm-hmm. and I'd recommend. Every other one that I saw, maybe I did see that one that everyone said was the bottom one because I watched it over a series of two days, mm-hmm. and I just totally forgot it. Yeah, that's that could have happened. Yeah. Okay, so this past weekend, along with Ex Machina, before Ex Machina, we saw. Your number one most anticipated movie of the summer and my most anticipated movie of the summer, the movie that I was convinced could not live up to its trailer, no matter what, Mad Max. Um, did it live up to your number one most anticipated movie? I mean, obviously... It's the first movie you've seen on your list, right? Unless you have you seen Avengers yet? No, I have not seen Avengers. So, do you feel comfortable putting it in that position at this moment? Number one, even yeah. though you haven't seen anything else, absolutely. Yeah, it was. Um, it was great. Yeah, like I think what I said to you after we saw it was. As impossible as you think it is to maintain all that energy and all that spectacle from the trailer, the movie absolutely does it. And it's awesome. Yes. <laughs> um, so I I totally loved it. Um, at first, I was a little... I think I was a little lost. Like, there's so... It just starts off so quickly mm-hmm. and there's so little story there's so there's like no exposition that you feel like you're missing something you know and because it's been such a long time since I've seen any of the Mad Max films I kind of started to feel like if I were was was more familiar with those movies I would have a better understanding of what was going on but then I saw the um the uh, puppeteer guitar playing, guitar playing um, <laughs> lunatic. Yes. Uh, Flame throwing guitar playing lunatic. And then I realized that this movie is not at all about story <laughs> and it's just about the spectacle. And that's great. And the story, and, and that's not to say there's like nothing there. The story, there's something there. Yeah. But I don't think it's really anything other than shades, right? It just is about the action. Yeah, I will say I have a problem, you know, in listening to some people review it. Some people say like, you know, I think I've read one thing that I have been reading 
all week are Mad Max reviews. Mm-hmm. Number one, because I think I love reading when people love something, you know? And with the love that this movie's getting, I think some people are, are trying to put it on their backs to get people to watch this film. And you can see that in the in the writing. But I saw one where somebody was like, there are only like seven minutes of footage of non-action in this. Great. Well, you watch it and I'm like, there's way more than seven minutes yeah. of non-action, you know? And in terms of the story beats, to say that there's nothing or that there is no story, it's just a chase, a two-hour chase movie, is completely false. Yeah. What I feel like people have a problem with and what I tried to convey in my Letterbox review is that this film is operating on a different cinematic kind of level using language cinematically that we haven't developed yet with our in our minds, right? Which basically says, here is a blind, guitar-playing, metal-like guitarist mm-hmm. that... Who every time it, he shows up, the soundtrack is like... <laughs> and he's like, has bungee cords. Right. And he's like <laughs> jumping around. And, you know, there's a huge dust storm, mm-hmm. electrical storm that everyone's rushing into with like three different kind of war camps coming after Max. And it will cut from that to like Furiosa looking up at the stars mm-hmm. and commenting about the green place or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how does your mind transition from that action into the contemplative you know where are we in the universe you know or i'm after redemption Mm -hmm. you know stuff like you can't compute and then all of a sudden it's right back into you know they're going through a canyon everyone's converging people are flying over um the war rig in motorcycles dropping molotov cocktails on them or whatever And then it's like back to, you know, Mad Max or they're dealing with the death of a, of a character. Mm-hmm. And so I just feel like, you know, if the, if the action was muted a bit, then we could make that transition easier. But having never seen what we've just witnessed to then ask your brain to now like switch over into story mode, you like, you need a second. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think when you read reviews, it's all like conflated. Like there's only seven minutes of downtime. It's like, no, there's a lot more or there's no story. It's like, no, there is. But I think like that was their mind transitioning for like 30 seconds in and out of those scenes that makes it feel far more chaotic in terms of a story and a movie than it is. It, it definitely has moments of quiet. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a huge sequence, 15 minutes, I would say leading up to the final big action set piece, which is just, Furiosa reconnecting with her tribe and talking about what where their next moves are and then going in the salt lands. Right. I think part of that too is that even in those moments there is still the threat of people coming after them. It's almost like in It Follows where it's like at any moment in this movie somebody or somebody's are 
on their way to try and kill you basically. And, you know, so it's like in it follows, you have a regular scene of teenagers sitting around talking to each other, but it's all underpinned with what's that thing in the background. Like something is on its way. And with Mad Max, there is, you know, there's uh, moments where yes, Furiosa is like contemplating something or, they're, uh, you know, washing themselves off. But in the background, there's a giant war group of people barreling <laughs> towards it. You know what I mean? So, yes, it is a bit of a quiet scene. And the story stuff to me is like, like I said, there's no exposition in the in the movie. It's all just people are just talking to each other because ultimately exposition is not natural, right? Like, we're not going to sit here right. and explain something to each other. We're just going to talk to each other about that thing. And if a third person was listening in on that, unless they're intimately familiar with what we're talking about, they're not going to know what we're talking about. So exposition is a movie trope to explain to the audience. So in this movie, these characters are just talking to each other because they know what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. They don't care that the audience doesn't really know what's going on. Right. They're letting the audience figure it out for themselves. Outside of the opening line of the movie, which is also the opening line of the trailer where he's, you know, it's something like, my name is Max mm-hmm. and my world is fire and blood, maybe. Right, and I'm I'm whittled down to one instinct survive. Right, or like survive. that's the most exposition you get in the movie. Right. And it's great, and, yeah. I, and I love it for that. Um <clears throat> But what I was saying about this and Ex Machina is that because of that, to me, Mad Max, you can you can interpret a lot of things. You can read into a lot of things. Um, but for me, there's not much there to talk about in terms of themes, which is something I'll ask you about in a little bit. Okay. Whereas in Ex Machina, and maybe it's just because I'm more familiar with these themes that had me more interested and that had me thinking more about the themes of ex machina than the actual movie after is over. Whereas after Mad Max was over, all I could think about were the action scenes and I just wanted to go back and watch it again. But at the same time, I'm not left with like a lot to bring out of it. So one thing I wanted to ask you about, and this is the one thing that I've seen. I haven't read any of the Mad Max reviews. I watched the interview with George Miller today on Vice, and that, but that was it. And that was more of a practical thing than anything, just how was this made, blah, blah, blah. But the one thing I have seen popping up around this movie is a lot of feminism talk. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a big feminist statement, yeah. which I'm totally, like, lost in the woods on. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what the statement is. I don't know... I don't understand how these characters are feminist characters. Like they just seem like regular people to me. You know what I mean? They just seem like regular women, I guess, making a, what a decision that a woman or a person would make. So I don't see that as particularly feminist. And like, so is that what is passing as feminist or is there something I'm not picking up on? Well, I think, I think number one, I think there's more to what it's saying in this, but I think, some people would, and I would say rightly argue, that your your basic take right there is feminist. Right. In that you would say, yeah, I kind of saw the women and the men trying to survive. Right. And it was just people trying to survive. They'd say, thank you. 
that's that's a feminist statement, right? Mm-hmm. I think the I think the film is actually saying a little more about it. When you think of victimhood, right? You think of the wives. Mm-hmm. You think of you know not just the overt statements, you know, like what was scrawled on their wall when a mm-hmm. Morton Joe comes in and they're like, "We are not your things." You know, who killed the world? Mm-hmm. Kind of stuff. Where I think it's built into the subtext that in all the violence, the men are kind of perpetrating it, you know? Yeah. And the women are kind of caught up in it. And it's kind of bred these women warriors like Furiosa, but they are rebelling against this kind of male violence, you know? And trying to restore some sense of order into this crazy world, right. you know? And women are kind of seen as the tenders of the green place, right? So when they meet up, when Furiosa meets back up with her clan, who are all women, mm-hmm. and who are using a woman as bait, um, one of them is collecting the seeds. And you don't see a lot of men thinking about the seeds and... I guess, you know, you could say a Morton Joe has whole crops that he's hidden, but she is kind of a tender of this new world that they're trying to bring about. So I think it's all there in, in subtext. I think the fact that Furiosa is as strong a character as she is, is probably the biggest feminist statement that the film is making. And Charlize Theron is amazing in it. Mm-hmm. You know, I I thought and and yeah, I love the fact that there's a you know like what you were saying about Frozen, you know that there potentially is a young girl who may watch Mad Max and be like, Furious is awesome, mm-hmm. and that's a great role model to have. Yeah, um, and so I'm glad Furiosa exists. Yeah. Okay, so it wouldn't be a movie-going experience for me if there wasn't something I didn't like. Yeah, of course. So the first thing I wanted to bring up was just a quick observation. I thought the movie, you know, there's been a lot made about the practical effects in the movie, which are great. There are a handful of CG effects, of course, like the dust Mm -hmm. storm, which still Mm -hmm. looks great. Yep. But... The beginning of the movie takes place in like a canyon and there's just all of these people there and there's all this rusted machinery and giant chains and gears and all that stuff. And it all looked great. I thought it looked great. Then you get the whole middle section of the movie that is mostly practical effects, car stuff, stuff like that. Then at the end, you go back to the beginning canyon And all of that stuff looked terrible to me. Like, obviously CG. It just looked so horrible. And I don't know if that was an effect of having nothing or the majority practical effects in the middle and then coming back to this thing that is so obviously computer rendered. Did you have that same experience? I honestly did not. I'm I'm really trying to think about which aspects... Looked overtly CG and it looked to me it looked terrible. It looked like CG and 
green screen. Like there's these giant chains that are obviously CG. And then it looks like all of these kids and all of the minions or whatever you want to call them that are painted the in white. The war boys. Yeah. It looks, they all look like they're just standing in front of a green screen. It looked so terrible to me. Really? Yeah. Okay. I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm not just saying this. I, that did not occur okay. to me at all, but I, upon rewatch, I will be looking for it. Okay. <clears throat> Part of me wonders, I mean, this was a troubled production. Yeah. If that was like a, okay, we got to wrap this up. Yeah. Like I'm over budget. I'm over time. Let's just get it done. Yeah. Okay. And the, the last thing or the last uh, issue I had with the movie, and it's not a big issue. It, it certainly did not affect the way I feel about the movie. I absolutely loved it. I loved watching it, and I would love to see it again in the theaters. I am not impressed, and I don't get what all of the hubbub is about with Thomas Hardy. Oh, man. He does not, like... He seemed like an average Joe to me. I I loved him. That in in closing, what I will say is, I feel like the 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 story. And I've heard some people. I've read some reviews where people are like, I couldn't tell you the story, and I don't know what the blood bags are for, and all the other stuff. I just feel like all of that will come will be further clarified as you watch this movie right. and pay closer attention. To all the little, you know, kind of drips and drops of narrative that George Miller kind of puts throughout mm-hmm. this chase. So I think I think all that's there, um, but the performances to me were what really stood out. And Tom Hardy in in this, I loved him as mm-hmm. Max. Like, there's the scene where he finally says his name the end and i thought it was great really yeah you didn't like that where where maybe just because i knew it was coming and it's just kind of such a well i just watched something oh uh they just did it in um uh what is that stupid tom cruise movie called which one there's so many stupid the uh, edge of tomorrow oh that's not stupid no i liked it Yes, but it just is. I mean that that thing has been done so much that it's like you know it's going. As soon as he refuses to tell her what his name is, you know it's going to happen. He's going to tell. Yeah, in this moment of import, right? It's going to be like this touching thing. Yeah, Eh. but but it was the way they did it, and and also the way that he grunts and that bothered me. Really? No way. No way. I here it is. Here yeah. it is at the very end of our segment. <laughs> didn't you, you, I didn't care from that much, but something I did find interesting in the George Miller interview is he said Mel Gibson was originally supposed to play Mad Max yeah, again. I didn't yeah, know so that. that. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I I remember following him just kind of seeing it that uh Mel Gibson was going to and then he backed out. Yeah. And I, I remember thinking at the time, good. I I don't you know, I don't know. Do you think if, so you think it couldn't have worked with Mel Gibson? I don't Gibson know. Anyway. I don't know. I've and I feel like Mel Gibson is is a distraction at this point, you know? Like I almost don't want to see him in any movie. It's not it's not again, I'm the guy who's all for separating personal life from artistic life, you know what I mean? Um but he's he's too kind of visible now as a as a character outside of films. 
that I I'm glad he wasn't in there. Mm-hmm. I really like Tom Hardy. I really like the performances, and I think the story has a lot more to say than what people are giving it credit for. And I chalk it up to the fact that <clears throat> our brains are not yet evolved to make the leap from a bungee cord playing metal guitarist and literally like you know a man jumps from one vehicle to another with two exploding spears after spraying his mouth chrome you know to look more like like a drug or is that just spray paint this is the other thing when people said what is that it's to make them look like a morton joe a morton joe has has the rig on his mouth that's a good point yeah yeah and I've never heard somebody say that. And I've heard another thing where people are like, what's with the spraying the teeth? And I, and I was like, I mean, I thought it was great. It's yeah. a great touch. When a Morton Joe sprays yeah, Nux's true. mouth, yeah. it's like, an, he's like saying, you are now like mm-hmm. me. It's the highest honor that, you know, a war boy could get. Mm-hmm. It's like all those little pieces are there. If you're connected enough to the story to pick up, pick them up. And, it's that's what makes this film more than just like oh that's a great action film. It makes it into a great film. Right. It's, it's got a lot more going on than just those chase scenes, which are great in and of themselves. Well, that's and that's what I'm trying to say. I think I think the the story is there in that these characters all have motivations and are all reacting to their environment, right? And that inherently tells a story. But the story is not there in that nobody, Mad Max never says they're driving this truck from here to here because they want to do this and these things are on the truck and these people want the truck because of this and these people want it because of this and they don't want to lose it because, you know what I mean? It just Mm -hmm. is, you're going to have to watch it a couple times to pick up on all of those reasons, but they are there. That's, that's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to say. So it's kind of like a, yeah, the story's there, but it's not there in what we're used to in a movie. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And I think it says a lot too. We we talked about Mad Men and redemption. I think it says Mm -hmm. a lot about, um, redemption and, and these specific characters, Furiosa is after that. And uh, Max is about something else, and I, I thought he did a great job. I thought it was, I thought it was great. Yeah, and look, it wasn't Tom Hardy. It wasn't enough to take away from the movie at all for me. It just was like Thomas Hardy is one of these actors that everybody is in love with, right? But I haven't seen anything that has impressed me that much. Like certainly not this. I didn't think it was it was fine. But then you think about like. A Bane? He's terrible as Bane, <laughs> right? Yeah, but you know, I haven't seen um, Bronson. Bron- I haven't seen the Bronson mm-hmm. movie. It's- I actually didn't like Bronson. He's great in it. I did. I didn't care for the film too much. Yeah, Inception. Uh, yeah, he's in Peaky Blinders. Is he really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Was there anything else? You don't have anything else that you watched? That's it, right? Yeah, nothing I want to talk about. Okay. <laughs> So let's talk about Cordial Minuet, the game you let's, talked about last week. Yep. The semi-gambling game. No, the semi-satanic gambling semi-satanic game. Semi-satanic, semi-gambling game from Jason Rohr. Um, you've, you're still playing it? 
Yeah. And are you still playing it off of your initial deposit? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. See, this is see. So I downloaded it and I played it and I exactly what I thought would happen happened. I deposited my five dollars. But how many games did you play total? Five. Exactly. See, you you just went for the games that are set up, right? So you ended up playing. No, I what, set like up my $3? all my own games and I went a dollar each game. Why'd you do a dollar? I did a cent. See, I did it, what's I the did point it, of doing a cent, though? Because you need to learn how to play the game. I did a cent for 13 games so I could fully understand what it is I'm trying to do. For the first five games, right, my first $5, I didn't know what was going on, you know? And so I, I needed, I needed, literally, I needed 13 games just to get a handle on it. Yeah. And then after that, I figured it out, and I started winning, and then I started winning money just because I took the time to figure it out. I didn't just go game one a buck, game two a buck. You know who you are. You're the guy I complained about in the game. You're, I'm Mark you're, Wahlberg. You're Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. You're the guy who goes all in. I get He's it. Like, Justin, you won. All in. Justin, don't keep all in. Justin, you lost everything. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. But 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 this but walking into but I didn't just download and start playing it. I read this huge long Kotaku article explaining the whole thing. I watched his instructional videos on YouTube. I watched something else on YouTube. And then I did I I played the game and I thought I had a really good understanding on it and I just kept losing and I had no idea why I was losing and the the I don't know if like so he's the game has obviously been updated since that Kotaku article was mm-hmm. written. Mm-hmm. So it looked completely different when I started playing it. And the colors don't make any sense to me. Like they're overlapping and I don't understand what parts of the over overlap I should be looking at. Like mm-hmm. the actual visual design of the game, I think is terrible. I think it looks terrible and it's visually confusing. Right. So that was frustrating to me. And Are then you of course, blind? no, I'm not. Are you sure? I'm sure. Okay. But so then I, I'm like after five games, I'm out of money. And I'm like frustrated, of course, but I'm also like determined not to get beat by this stupid game. Like I'm determined not to get beat just because I don't understand the game. So I go in to like uh, add more money and I have to put in another $5 and I have to put in my credit card information again. So just like forget it. I'm done. I haven't played it since. Yeah. (laughs) So it beat you. It did. You know, I, I feel like ne- next time we hang out, what we need to do is we need to kind of set aside time to, like, play some games. Because sometimes when we get together, we just kind of sit and talk. Mm-hmm. But Cordial Minuet needs to be a, um, I need to bring my computer over and we'll we'll, we'll play a few hands of Cordial Minuet. Mm-hmm. We'll try and, try and put our heads together, see if we can figure it out. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, I, I think... I think what you needed to do, because you could watch all those. And I did the same thing. Read the article. I read a Reddit thing on Cordial Minuet. I watched the video. I played the first game and knew, didn't know what was going on. Because there's something about somebody telling you how to do something. And then when you do it, mm-hmm. you know, you can watch all the videos you want about driving. When you get behind the, you know, driver's seat of a car, you don't know what to do. So I feel like, yeah, anytime you start playing that game, you're, you're going to be like, What? And the visual design at first is confusing, but I think what you what you can do is simplify 
you know your 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 tasks and outthink your opponent mm-hmm. in the game. Um, do you think so? In that, I think it was in the Kotaku uh, interview slash write up. Jason Roars talking about how he's looking at this as an alternative to Texas um, Hold'em. Hold'em. Mm-hmm. Do you see this game getting that big? Do you see the draw? Do you think this has the same draw as Texas Hold'em does? First, I'm going to say I'm probably not as smart as Jason Roar right. is. So I'm ultimately going to defer to him. This has the makings of an interesting game of skills slash chance mm-hmm. in the same way that poker does. It's definitely not as flashy as poker. You know, I don't, there's something cinematic about poker. And you, you could argue about how cinematic it is, but it's been in everything on Bond film, rounders, whatever. Right. I don't imagine that, and that's part of why poker's um, so big. And popular, well, and it's part of it too, is because it's deceptively simple, right? Like as 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 much into the numbers as you can get with poker and the percentages and what this card means as opposed to this one, there is a basic, like, hey, I got two of the same cards, right? Like, I wonder if I can get three, right? <laughs> like, That'd there's a basic simplicity to it that I think is what draws you in. Well, yeah, no, that's exactly it. And there's something more alluring about 52 cards and hearts, spades, right, whatever. Cordial Minuet, can you imagine a table full of people who are like, oh, he's picked uh, column two and uh, and column four for his opponent. Let's see what his opponent has picked. Oh, (laughs) two and four. Interesting play. Yeah. Now who's going to bet? You know, I mean, it's not cinematic. It's not sexy. Right. So it's also slightly satanic, which is going to keep it from ever going. Now, mainstream. in all of your reading, have you figured out the no. level of no? Like the only thing I've seen is that cordial minuet is an anagram for some super satanic phrase. I have no idea what that phrase is. So maybe we should stop saying it. <laughs> <laughs> um. I listened to, I think it was this week's This American Life, or the one that came out on Sunday. Have you listened to that yet? Birds and Bees? Yeah. I'm listening to it right now. Have you gotten to the, um, is it just, I think it's just like a straight up rape talk? Oh. You haven't gotten to that part yet? Oh, yes. Where they're explaining to... And it's like the Amy Schumer sketch. It's exactly what I was going to say, right? We were just talking (laughs) about that Amy Schumer sketch. And I watched it a few weeks ago or whatever, and I'm thinking this is... It's funny, right? But it's so ridiculous. Right. But it's funny where she's she's parroting Friday Night Lights, right? And the coach is trying to explain what the word no means to his football team. And they're just saying the most like heinous, ridiculous things about rape, basically. Well, he's trying to get them not to rape. Yeah, right. He's right. That's the rule, right? No rape. Full hearts, clear eyes. No rape. Don't rape. Don't rape. That's right. Right. Um, And then I'm listening to this. This is American Life segment. I'm like, wow, that's not that far off from this group of guys who are like, yeah, but what if this? And it's just kind of like, first of all, it's a, it's a little depressing that they have to actually have that 
class where they're teaching guys that like, I mean, I have, so have you listened to that whole segment? Yeah. So there's one, there's on one side of it where I somewhat agree with them where it's kind of like, cause the instructor is saying, you do Keep this, checking and in. you do this and then you ask and then you do this and you ask. And there's a certain aspect of that. So it's like, okay, so is there at any point where I'm not asking if it's okay to have sex? You know what I mean? And I think that's kind of what the guys are getting at. Yeah, I I think the the better question would have been, well, what's the role of the lady in this, right? right? Like, so we're having sex, so now I need to sit there and be like, okay, now I'm going to do this other thing. Is that, you know, instead of a woman being like, Yes, more. Yes, this is good, right? So, I mean, and but I think what she was trying to do is just get through their thick skulls, Mm -hmm. the concept, which is why, yeah, and and from what I heard, and maybe she she expounded, from what I heard, they might as well have been having sex with some kind of doll. Right. Who's just like... Completely mindless. Completely mindless. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I just wanted to mention that because I thought that was really funny. But I also want to say that um, This American Life has had a couple of a little run of really great episodes. I the agree. past couple have been really good, and this one was really good. And but I will say, so you haven't gotten to the end of this one. I'm on the. Uh, Are you on the Jonathan Goldstein story? The Bell. Okay. Kwame. The bell. Jonathan Goldstein story is really rough. Like it's like really dark depressing stuff so when you say story is it like a it's it's not a story it's a like a interview sort of thing what's he talking what's his deal about i can't it's about death right yeah it's about kids and death it's about kids dealing with death so but it gets really dark (laughs) it's like man it's a real bummer that's all i've been listening to I guess so like the prologue and then the first three chapters and I think play is a very loose term yeah interacted with yeah because it's not really a game um but it's definitely very interesting you know so it's uh, it's a story about PTSD yeah well it's kind of morphing into yeah I that's how it was sold to me in an article I read mm-hmm. but as you play through you realize does that's a that's a part of it mm-hmm. but it's telling a larger story okay um well that's been the majority of what i've experienced so far so what what was the last thing have you gotten to the braille i don't think so okay the last thing i really remember is oh i know something happened after this but i can't really remember what it was but the last thing i really remember is um the demolition of the building Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so you got through the opening, the eyes going to a subconscious, mm-hmm. all that. I think for me, this first chapter 
has been like, look what we can do. Yeah. In terms of interactive storytelling. Right. And it just gets more and more and more like expansive. Oh, really? And exciting. It ends with one of the most inventive uses of interactive storytelling I've ever seen. Hmm. And I, I loved the last chapter in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is like chapter one or series one. Also, what do you think of the cutscenes? Uh, the live action stuff. They're good. See, I thought when I saw their live action pieces, I was like, oh no. Yeah. They're definitely way better than you now, would ever expect them. to Exactly. Be. Yeah. And they, and they actually really pull them off. Well, when you think about what they could be. Mm-hmm. And when I was watching it, all I could think of is, oh my goodness. If people grab hold of this type of storytelling, that will be awesome in terms of what we could be getting, you know, like, cause we just interact with PT right. and I'm like, never again will we see a PT experience, right? Never again. Mm. Now we're getting, don't believe his lies and now pry. And mm. I'm starting to see people venture out into more of this interactive experience. And I was like, dude, you could, you could make, you could double the experience of PT yeah. By making it this type of interactive experience, like through something like mm-hmm. an iPad or something. Um, Pry is not doing that. It's doing something else. Mm-hmm. But I got really excited. Yeah, it's definitely very unique. And it's, you know, two or three dollars. And it's yeah. it's an inter- it's more of an inter- interactive story than it is a game. Um, and from what I've experienced so far in the beginning of the game, you're controlling. It's like a. F- first person right and you're just controlling this guy's brain or subconscious basically Mm -hmm. and you're using your two fingers to pinch open his eyes to look at the world or close them shut to look at his subconscious and you're going back and forth and it's really interesting but it that did bother me a little bit just because when i'm whole you have to hold your fingers there and it's covering up so much of the screen So I wish you could just do it with like one finger. Well, you start to realize you have to do it on the sides. I had to to do that, but I ended up really liking it because what you realize is whether you're in the subconscious or when you're looking, this guy has to stay focused to be in in the moment. Mm -hmm. Because if not, he's going to slip back into this kind of PTSD kind of muddled world, Mm -hmm. right? And so it mirrors to me when I'm holding it open and holding it open, holding it open, it's mirroring the effort that the character's having to put into staying connected with whatever is yeah, happening around him. That's true. And so I, I had the same feeling. I was like, Oh, I wish they just, opened. but then I was like, is my interaction though, part of the storytelling? Mm-hmm. Yes. And I like to at least imagine, I could see why it might be important that I do that. Yeah. So I ended up still, Liking it. Okay. Well, my recommendation for you is another YouTube playlist. All right. But this time it's not mine. It's from a a user or a YouTuber who goes by the name of Gold Vision. And he does... I'm not sure, really sure what he does because this playlist is the only thing I've checked out by him. But I think he just does like video game stuff. But this playlist or the series that he's doing is called Grand Theft Auto Pacifist. And 
Uh, it's just a series of videos of him um, trying to tell the story of a regular person living in the Grand, Grand Theft, Theft Auto, Auto universe while playing Grand Theft Auto. Um, and the idea is that he doesn't carry a weapon. You know, he's not breaking the law, stuff like that. Uh, which I think in the f- there's like a prologue where he introduces all this stuff. That's a couple minutes, and then there there's part one. I'm pretty sure in part one, like it gets thrown out. Like the literally the first thing that happens is that he has to rob somebody. <laughs> But the <laughs> videos are super funny, um, and they're really interesting. And his like his writing and his delivery is really good. So I'll email that to you. Okay, I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, but that's it's Gold Vision, and I believe it's called Grand Theft Auto Pacifist, or either like Grand Theft Pacifist. I'm not sure. Um, so yeah, there's like. Eight videos, I think, and they're like five minutes each. So you've been listening to Everything Is Interesting. Uh, my name is Justin Blizzard. I'm here with Keith Krepko. The um, like I said with Grand Theft Auto Pacifist, the link for that will be in the show notes. All of our important information is the show notes. Uh, if you've made it this far, I imagine you would have checked out the show notes before, but maybe not. But I will say if there's any anything weird in the show or uh, if you're looking, if you're listening, and you're like, man, I'm not interested in this topic. There are timestamps in the show notes. All of the important information is in the show notes. Um, you know, like we did that bonus episode a couple days ago on Ex Machina with our wives and because of the setup the audio was low and I knew it was but there's really nothing I could do to get around it so bam I put it in the show notes audio is low sorry about that um, so I try and actually put important information in the show notes so if you're ever curious about something you can check that out or like I said if you're just not interested in hearing me um, scream about Frozen for <laughs> 16 minutes Go to the show notes Skip and ahead. say, how do I get past this? Um, but yeah, I just wanted to make sure to mention that. Uh, something else I wanted to mention quickly is we have steaks for our selfless challenge. We were at Food Lion at like 11 o'clock at night. This was before we recorded our Ex Machina podcast. And we saw one of the most disgusting food consumables I think you could imagine, which was at the time a warm pouch <laughs> of slushy mixture. But it's called like puppy slush or something. No, it's the, because the mascot for slushy is that dog. Right. It's the mascot for, but I, yeah, I can't remember what it's called. It's right. just called like slushy pouch or something. And it looks so gross. And it was actually. The package itself was literally dirty. (laughs) Yeah. So that is whoever. So if I like the movie, I have to eat it. If you dislike Selfless, you have to eat it. And And it's in my freezer. Right. Currently, it will be in there for months until we actually see the movie. He he sent me a video of him picking it up and knocking it against the counter. And it's frozen. Completely solid, and I just imagine that solid mass in my stomach, 
it just made me physically well Ill. the thing i was thinking like because it's called like slushy pouch but you're putting it in the freezer and it's so i'm thinking like this thing has to be like a consistency of a slushy right so let me check on it i tell you it is hard as a brick right and so then i look at the directions on the back and the directions on the back there's three of them and it literally says freeze drink enjoy there's nothing on there about like letting it thaw out or moving it to the refrigerator so I don't know how it's going to work. This is one, this is one guy's operation yeah. out of what is What's going to happen is we're going to, at the beginning of our selfless episode, that slushy pouch is going to be sitting in the middle of the table like a time bomb. <laughs> and then by the end of the episode, someone's going to have to drink that thing. Or this is eat coming it or from a man's like, meth lab. <laughs> when he's not cooking right. meth in the downtime, he's making slush slush pouches to put in food lions yeah <laughs> and sell yeah um another uh quick announcement we are starting a true detective podcast we missed the wave with the first season but we're getting on board with the second in terms of the podcast we both watched the first season um we're going to record that after we get done recording this it's just going to be a quick 20 to 30 minute sort of feeling out of season two and it'll be out sometime this week, um, but that will be its own separate feed, uh, which you'll have to find eventually because the this show does not have a Twitter because that is too much work for me. <laughs> <laughs> but we have our own Twitters. You can follow me at I'm at Blizzard with nine Z's. I'm at Things Come Right. Um, and again, all of that stuff will be in the show notes. I may even retroactively put the uh, RSS feed for the True Detective podcast in the show notes if you're interested in following that. If not, you can ignore it. Um, But that's been the show, and we will see you next week. Let it go. Let it go.